powerlifting especially at the beginning those first two three four years even five sometimes for some people you're almost like a bodybuilder when i started powerlifting i hated svd so squat bench deadlift i just hated it that that sort of mindset or approach to the powerlifting do you find that that helps you in other areas of your life as well yeah it's transferable it's um same thing i same because i did university i worked studied electrical engineering um and there are times where exam period classic you know yeah you've got seven exams with coursework <laughs> that needs to be handed you've got one last exam you've barely prepared for when you're when you're first starting your body's like fresh <laughs> honestly you can you can probably do an spd day push your accessories and probably turn up two days later and be ready to go again if you were to go back to the start of your journey is there anything that you wish you knew back then about nutrition that maybe you know now that you would change welcome along to episode number 30 i'm cam i'm the host of the lifting in life podcast i have a bachelor's degree in psychology i'm a personal trainer and i also work in it before i get into it before i get into the intro i just want to acknowledge you and thank you for any support that you've shown so far reaching 30 episodes it feels like a like a big deal you know like feels like quite an achievement so it's been a journey so far over the past couple of years and it's it's not slowing down hopefully if anything it's speeding up but yeah I just wanted to take a second to to thank you for any support that you have shown to the podcast so far in terms of today's episode I'm lucky enough to be joined by Abdul Majid Suleiman he's a British powerlifter he can squat over 300 kgs bench over 200 kgs and deadlift almost 400 kgs so when it comes to powerlifting you could say that uh, he knows a thing or two or he's got a bit of experience (laughs) in terms of our episode we explore quite a range of topics actually we um, get a bit of an understanding as to what it's like competing at such a high level and we explore the pressure that comes along with that and then also what it's like to push through when times get tough and times get challenging which they inevitably do and also actually how that crosses over as well it's not just specific to powerlifting how that crosses over into other areas of life as well as well as those high level things of course we delve into some tangibles too especially in relation to uh training nutrition and supplementation to help you get stronger and to gain strength in the gym with your lifts and then woven throughout the episode you'll hear a lot of talk about injury and working with injuries and advice on how to uh, prevent them and and things like that as always i appreciate you tuning in to the podcast and any support you can show goes a long way and it helps me continue getting these awesome people on. So whether that's a like, a follow, subscribe, leave a comment, whatever it is, it all helps a lot. And like I said at the beginning of the intro, any support is much appreciated. I hope you enjoy the episode and remember you, and remember you make you. Anyway, Abdul, 
we're here, we're recording, we're good to go. I appreciate you coming on, man. I've been um, looking forward to catching up with you, so I really appreciate you being here. No worries. Thank you for the invite. No, no, no worries, man. I've been following your journey for probably a solid few months now and seeing <laughs> you deadlifting and squatting over 300 kgs, you know, I like, it blows my mind, man. So that's why I'm pretty keen to pick your brain. Where I thought we could start is probably the most obvious, and that's obviously you're an athletic dude. You could probably excel in a bunch of different sports. So to start off with, why did you choose powerlifting? And also, how did you first get introduced to it? Okay. Um, so I, I, I've been powerlifting for just slightly over seven years now, um, but I actually started powerlifting as injury rehab. Um, so I used to play, I, well, I played rugby for a bit when I got into sixth form, which is like college kind of level. Mm -hmm. um, so I started playing rugby and I, there was this transition from being the under 18s into the, I was still under 18, but I wanted to move me into the men's team. I basically just got broken. Like it was yeah. getting, getting beamed by like grown ass men forwards <laughs> who are actually quick was very, very rough. So yeah. I, there was a period where I, um, it was after A level exams, come out the exam hall, everyone's celebrating, running about. I jump up in the air and I strain my lower back, like just long, oh. full on muscle spasm. So I, I was dealing with that, was able to like, no, I didn't know rehab back then, just played rugby. You were 17, 18, kind of went to the gym lightly. Um, but then first year of university, I just always had this problem where I couldn't sit for a long period of time. So first year of university, I was chilling, um, just training, mostly trying to do a little bit of CrossFit and mostly bodybuilding primarily that was mm -hmm. my focus and then second year i got into the rugby plane and i was just having issues with my lower back it just kept them flaring up i couldn't play games for a long period of time then i remember seeing um there's a guy in my gym who the university gym he was squatting 200 kilos mm -hmm. and i was like that's insane that guy squats yeah. 200 he probably 100 doesn't have a messed up lower back uh, so <laughs> yeah. i want to know what he's doing and then that's how pretty i sound logic exactly and that's how i got into my first squat was like i remember i barely used to squat 60 80 kilos and then i remember mm. like oh, i'll get training some friends or oh, this is a guy who does powerlifting let's try it and then i remember being nervous the first time i went over 100 kilos i was like this is insane like there's a lot of weight that could break someone's neck. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then I kind of just fell in love with it. I actually ended up quitting rugby after that and then just stopped with powerlifting and just kept on training powerlifting. Damn, that's an interesting story of um, having an injury getting you into powerlifting. I don't think I've ever heard yeah. of something like that. Did you? Nah, it's funny because a lot of people kind of say, oh, you're always injured. I'm like, yeah, I, I started injured. <laughs> yeah, I've always been broken. Starting the way you want to continue. <laughs> did you, with that lower back, did you ever get that looked at before you started powerlifting like how did that work no no i never i never had that looked at um it was kind of just hey you strain your lower back you broke your ankle you patch it up and you keep on moving Damn. um but it, it i never had a look at. but i think there was a point maybe like three four years later and like it's just that area is even now that area is it's a lot stronger but it's the first to get inflamed so my lower back is getting tired a bit of in training mm -hmm. my left lower back like the um erectus muscle kind of mm. just bunches up and like it, it's slightly bigger than my right side yeah. if you actually look on my on my back and um, it's slightly bigger so it's there's there's just trauma that's happened there that is i've gotten used to working with really yeah what do you think it's a result of that sounds like there's like a little like you had a little twist or like a little 
binned or something yeah, like that. It would have been for rugby. I, I remember the game. It was 100. It was like I was playing in Birmingham yeah. and like uh, I was playing as a fullback, which was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, and then I remember getting absolutely railed by like a forward. Yeah. Like he just came and sashed me from behind. And like I felt my lower back go then. But it wasn't like, oh, it really hurts. It was kind of like I fall into the floor very aggressively. It's sore. And then I was kind of doing some athletics on the side when I went back to sixth form again. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, I think just a combination of never actually rehabbing or taking time off. Even though I wasn't doing much, it was just a random chain of events. Yeah. And then my random jump after exams just completely tweaked it. So it's it's... Something that happened a while ago and then it's just always been like that ever since. Yeah. Like when I actually tweaked it, I couldn't move. Like it was like a full on, my back was locked oh, on the wow. left side. So I actually spent like half a day on the, like, because you go to the nurse bay, just half a day lying on the nurse bay, couldn't move at all. Just completely spasmed and locked up. So, Far out. Having started your journey with an injury, what does injury prevention look like for you now? All the prehab kind of stuff injury prevention that's an interesting one I've I've, 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 I tell this to people because it's it's a tough it's a tough one to understand um even like I'm going through an injury now myself (laughs) again (laughs) that I'm rehabbing from so it's not there's no injury prevention it's kind of like an injury is your body telling you something is wrong and you've been pushing aggressively in this wrong thing so either your technique or your stance or your little muscles are not working the way you want it to so an injury, like an injury is just your body teaching you a lesson. It's kind of just saying, hey, we're not doing this anymore. Fix this area before we go further. Mm-hmm. So that's, I always just take as injuries are part of the process. Some people are more sus- susceptible to injuries. Some people never have any. They're blessed. Um, I've always been a fragile kid, even when I played mm-hmm. rugby. I played rugby, rough sport, but I would bump <laughs> yeah, my it's toe. it's a rough sport, man. <laughs> I'll bump my toe against the door and my toe's gone. So I've always just been fragile in a weird way. And I've just understood that it's my body telling me, hey, this area is weak. We need to right. step back, strengthen this area before we go to the next level. So I've had a few injuries and each time it's taken maybe two, three months, five months, a year. Like the back is always a thing, my knees always a thing. And then it's kind of like, I just, I understand. It's like my body, my body's telling me a cue like, hey, if I squat the wrong way, my knee hurts. And I go, okay, my technique wasn't good on that day. So what can yeah. I work on to improve that? So it's adapting with the injury as it comes and goes basically rather yeah. than preventing and I, I like that idea that that's kind of your body's way of telling you something and it might be say if your back's sore kind of like what you're getting at there it might not be the case that your back's the problem it's your ankle is rolling in or something so it's making it, you twist and then exactly like, yeah or your bracing was off it's like there's a lot of things or it's just you're getting a lower back pump you're working really hard so your, your back is telling you, hey you, we worked hard so you kind of just need to like a, embrace that you know mm. and go hey my back is working a lot now do i need to get my hamstring stronger do i need to get my upper back stronger do i need to get my my core stronger and use those other muscles to take a little bit more load from my lower back so it's like a feedback process injuries are a feedback process and it depends on how you respond to that feedback whether it improves or you just remain with the injury mm, exactly i was um actually watching a couple of your youtube videos recently uh. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I kind of wanted to get some ideas and learn a bit more about you and one okay. thing one thing that you touched on is quite relevant to this is um you're talking about how when you go through a phase of wanting to improve your technique it's hard to then also focus on pushing the strength which makes sense so can you speak to that a little bit more and how you balance improving your technique but also gaining strength at the same time 
so I, I, I treat... I treat the main movement. When I started powerlifting, I hated SPD, so squat, mm. bench, deadlift. I just hated it. I I enjoyed the sport, but like doing a heavy squat, doing a heavy bench, doing a heavy deadlift, just felt awful. It was mm. a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. Even though the weight was moving, I was like, I'm not comfortable doing this movement at all. I wasn't built to squat naturally. Yeah. My hips went through my first sumo deadlift session. Oh, man. So <laughs> it's yeah. always been this miss and match like situation. Um, yeah. So I've always like. Whenever it comes to main movements, apart from like, well and truly, apart from the three weeks before competition or four weeks before competition, I'm actually training almost sub-max. Mm-hmm. So I'm training with weight that I'm comfortable with. So I don't need spotters. I don't need, there's no chance of me feeling this weight. And I can actually use that time to focus on my technique and try things I want to do. On top set, I'll kind of switch off and like really push, be a gym rat, push the weight. But on back downs, I'm really, really focusing. And it's not like, oh, I'm sitting down on the side, reviewing my phone and going, oh, this line is off or this is off. It's kind of like doing the movement. I'm thinking, hey, did I feel my quads doing that? Or, hey, was my bracing correct? Or did I enter the hole the way I want to enter? So I'm trying to do it in my body in real time. And then I can step away and go, actually, I want to try this next time. So it's, it's kind of like just a little feedback process. But keeping the weight at a decent level where I can still work on my technique and not worry about failure or going maximal lows where everything's rounding over. And then I do my best to push accessories. So chest push machines, dumbbell rows, um, RDLs, belt squats, things like that. That's when I go into gym rap mode and I'm like, okay, let's just go and push hard. But also thinking, hey, I want to fill in the muscle. I'm not trying to load the most weight on, on the machines at all. I'm just thinking, let's push, push, push. Then I feel like I can resonate with that mindset of, it's like a technique mindset than just like a you have to get this kind of done sort of mindset. In terms of your technique, what were some of the biggest technique flaws you had when you first started powerlifting that you had to improve? So when I first started powerlifting, I had, <laughs> it's been a long list. Um, but for example, <laughs> for my squat, um, I just had terrible shoulder mobility. Mm-hmm. naturally just my shoulders did not want to move at all they were used to getting so it was hit. hard like grabbing the bar it was hard doing yeah. low bar um it was hard actually going into a proper low bar position and maintaining that bar on my back and not rounding over when i squat yeah. um so there was a lot of upper back mobility that had to be done just getting used to opening up my lats my triceps feeling what's comfortable like uh, uh, the funny thing in powerlifting is like the longer you do it the more your body morphs into mm-hmm. being good for powerlifting so like yeah. Now, I remember when I started, I used to do loads of mobility drills and like trying to open this, trying to open that. And like over time, like doing heavy weight is mobility itself. You like you're naturally just force your body into the position it wants to be. And sometimes I'll come with injuries because you're forcing your body into the position that where you should be strongest, but obviously you can't handle that strength yet. Um, so you just have to step back, analyze, and then go back again at it and build up the foundation again. Um, but my upper back, my lower back was my lower back was very terrible. I used to get a lot of lower back pain also, and um, yeah. that's because I didn't know how to use my lug, my legs at all when I was squatting. Um, so that took a while to learn how to brace, how to drive out the hole properly, which I'm even still learning to this day. Um, I've got yeah. long femurs, so <laughs> squatting doesn't come naturally to me. Uh, yeah. How but, how tall are you? Six one. Ah, uh, yeah, I thought you looked kind of, just judging by your videos, you look quite tall. It's like average yeah. for general population, but for powerlifting, yeah. it's actually tall. <laughs> yeah, man, that's right, tall for powerlifting. Yeah. And and how did you 
come across these kind of technique flaws that you needed to improve? Like, did you have a coach? Did you video yourself? I've always had a coach from, I was yeah. lucky enough to always have a coach from when I started. So I started in Newcastle University, so mm-hmm. university here in the UK. Um, and then there was a powerlifting club there. So I was lucky enough to meet someone there, kind of just worked with him from the beginning and we've just stayed together since the last seven to eight years now. Yeah. Would you say it's quite a pivotal or important thing to have a coach when you first start? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's, um, I'm, I'm a gym rat naturally. I, I'm happy. <laughs> hey, lock me in the gym. I'm fine. I don't care. I like the smell of plates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's another level. Um, but you need to have someone who's like, holds you accountable, someone who's mm-hmm. going to go, hey, because when I first started, like I said, a hundred kg squat was insane to me. Yeah. So man. when it was like, oh, we're going to squat two twenty, I was like, who's going to squat two <laughs> twenty? <laughs> um, so it's like he's always been there to push me and go, okay, because he's he's always had goals higher than what I, I think is even possible. Like yeah. even to this day, he mentions numbers. I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like <laughs> my knees are already damaged. Um, but it's good to have someone who holds you accountable, wants to push you, but also someone who can be like a captain to your ship, you know, someone who's willing mm-hmm. to stare you. If you're having an injury, tell you, hey, it's okay to pull back because we've accounted for this. Um, someone who can look at your technique videos or look at your training videos and go, hey, that was too heavy at this moment. We don't want to be going that hard. Or, hey, you have a lot more in you. You can push a lot harder right now. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to have that second opinion there. Yeah, it sounds like as much as he's like, you know, pushing you to do something physical, so much of it must be quite a lot of psychological guidance, whether you're feeling good or bad coming into a competition or in a big training phase. So what what does that look like in terms of the psychological guidance that he offers you? Maybe let's make it specific to you competing. You know, what kind of role does he assume there? So a very good example would be Europeans last year, November, November, December. So I had had come off Arnold's, not the best performance so i was ready to push and i was pushing into the first two i probably took the shortest rest period in between comps during that that period so i competed on like a saturday the next week saturday i was back in the gym training ready um two weeks later i injured my lower my back Uh, it was mid back area between the lats and the lower back no idea what it was but i just couldn't squat so anytime i was going to the hall standing up there was like a shooting pain through my whole back into my legs um, yeah. but we couldn't figure it out and that took that took a good like actually I didn't heal from that until this year um, but during that period I couldn't squat I remember like I, w- I went from squatting 280 for doubles to 174 single hurting and me having oh, to like go man. hey my back really hurts and he was during that period he was there to go I know Europeans is coming because I was thinking hey I'm going to pull out of Europeans this is insane like I'm, I'm broken like five weeks out I was barely squatting 220. He was like, hey, we'll figure it out. Like, don't worry about it. We've got time. Take your time. Figure out your technique. We can adapt. We can evolve from this. You know, it's just your body responding in the same way. Take your time. We'll figure it out. And I know, like, four weeks, I ended up finding a position where I could squat that the pain Mm -hmm. wasn't there. And because I kept on training consistently, even though it was only 170 or 200 in the bar, I kept training consistently during that whole period. As soon as I found the position where the pain wasn't there anymore, boom, I was able to start pushing again. And I was back to like mm. 270, 280, um, just for singles. I couldn't do any reps at all. Uh, but he was just there in that period saying, hey, it's fine. Take your time. We'll figure this out. We'll figure this out until competition day, pretty much. And, and that's like having the, I guess from you, the willingness to search for a solution too and not just like give in to the despair and chuck it out. Yeah, and during that period, there was like, 
it's rare. Like normally, I'm I'm the kind of person who's happy to just chuck their head against the wall until a solution comes out. But like even during that time, I was like, I'm tired of chucking my head against the wall. You know, I'm not finding anything. And he was just dead in that period because I remember there was a time I was in Edinburgh because I had to sort out some papers to fly out for Europeans, and I was like, I barely scored two hundred last week. The guys I'm competing are scoring three hundred. I'm injured. Everything hurts right now. Why am I even going to this competition? And he was just there on the day. I met him like, mate, I'm one hundred. I'm like ninety percent sure I'm gonna drop out. Like uh, this doesn't make any sense because I'm traveling to do all this paperwork to travel for the competition that I'm not even prepared for. I'm injured right now, and it was like, doesn't matter. Like, hey, got enough time? Slow down, right? Don't let don't let the moment get to you, and just take your time. Take your time with it, and we'll figure it out. Just do what you can to get to that competition. But we've got more than enough time to figure out what we need to do to be at, mm. at close enough to performing or competing on that um, on that day. So yeah. yeah, that that sort of mindset or approach to the powerlifting. Do you find that that helps you in other areas of your life as well? Is that transferable? Yeah, it's transferable. It's um, same thing. I same because I did university. I worked studied electrical engineering, uh, and there are times where exam period, classic. You know. Yeah, you've got seven exams with coursework that needs to be handed. <laughs> you've got one last exam you've barely prepared for. You know you need to pour an all nighter to even have forty percent of the knowledge you need to even survive this exam. Mm-hmm. You're tired, you're broken, and it's just hey, just keep working, keep slamming your head against the wall, even if it's two a.m. in the morning. Whether this information goes in or not, it doesn't matter. You've sat down there and you've tried to do your best. <laughs> so by the time you get to the exam hall, you're not thinking. I should have not slept yesterday. You're thinking, I stayed up to 2 a.m. There's no bloody way I'm failing this exam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've done <laughs> so, what's needed to have Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And do, do you think showing this, to, showing yourself that you're able to do this over and over again sort of reaffirms or builds your identity that you're someone who has the ability to push through and do the stuff when it needs to be done? Definitely. I think it's something you probably find with a lot of people who do athletics or sports or any competitive sport. You hear yeah. people do martial arts or judo or basketball, whatever sports they're doing, at all high or competitive level. It's you You can build confidence from, because everyone's young. Everyone, first, I remember my first year of uni, I was, I was a shy kid. I, I, I didn't necessarily know what to be confident about for myself, you know? But when you when you find something that you can go, I'm ter- terrible at this right now, but I can get better and better, and I can go, oh yeah, I got injured and I got back from that injury. You know, you're building those little confidence points in yourself that you can slowly apply to any other section of your life. So, I think it 100% always transfers over, whether it's powerlifting, mm-hmm. running, marathon running, jujitsu. You're always little things where you can set a standard and achieve that standard will help you your identity and confidence in yourself that you can apply to externals. Yeah, man, I agree with that. And I think part of it is sort of making a plan or a goal for yourself and seeing yourself work towards that goal and not give up. When you say to yourself, okay, tomorrow I've got a squat session and I want to squat 160 and you go in there and you do the thing, it's almost like it builds a positive feedback loop of, I said to myself, I'm going to do the thing. And then I went and did it and I achieved it. That's only a micro example, but if you're like, I want to compete at my first competition in 12 weeks and you do all the work and then you also compete, that's probably another way that it reaffirms to you that you can achieve stuff when you put your mind to it. Yep, that definitely Mm. makes a lot of sense. 
Mm-hmm. One thing you, you touched on there was your mechanical engineering. Um, I'm keen to pick your brain a little bit around how you manage being in that IT corporate space and then also competing for your country in powerlifting. You know, those are two massive things that must dem- demand a lot of your time. So how do you ensure you can give your best to both of those areas? Uh, so for, in terms of like for working within IT and R&D and software, you you have to because obviously you can so unfortunately i I'll probably say i'm not there's there's the work rat you know the guy who's going to see and do overtime the guy who's going to push yeah there's there's a limit i i'm i'm getting after like squatting a 300 i'm there the next day like mate like, if possible i'll happily not be here right now <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have to realize you have responsibilities in that period you have things you need to achieve so you definitely try and put yourself put your best foot forward you know try and update yourself be willing like in the workspace, always be willing to learn and take on projects you want that you that you even though you don't have the confidence or the skills for it, just say, hey, I'll do it because there's YouTube. Funny enough, and now mm. even like you know, ChatGPT is like yeah, man. Last week I was trying to go through assembly code. I have zero experience with assembly code, so I was sitting there trying to work this assembly code, get like a pseudo code version of it so I can understand what's going on. And I shove it into ChatGPT, and it does it in like. <laughs> A minute or 30 seconds. Just spits it out. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, hey, even whether or not with I have zero confidence in um, assembly code, I was still willing to spend hours at work, figure it out, rather than just go, hey, I have no idea, no experience with this, and put it to the side, mm-hmm. figure it out. But now that we, we're getting to a level where we can use external tools within our AI and things like that to mm-hmm. make us more efficient at work. So just find tools you can yeah. find, tools and programs and skills you can acquire that make you more efficient at work. And then also, I, I do work and then I do gym. So I turn up to work 7 a.m. I'm at work. I leave around 3 to 4 p.m. After that, I'm traveling straight to the gym and it's literally just trying to separate two worlds. So walk, work is done, gym, two hours. And I'm doing my best not to, because sometimes I go to the gym and I'm not the most social person because I know, hey, I've got two yeah. hours. Like I've been up since 6 a.m. in the morning it's 6 p.m. in the night right now. I have zero time to have a friendly conversation. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I'm not going to get enough time to like go home, cook food, and then sleep. So it's kind of like you need to yeah, be man. just the same way at work, do what you can do. And then once you get to the gym, try and do all the work you need to do in the shortest amount of time possible. So I like to do supersets with my accessories, for example, to get them out of the way quickly. And then head home, do your best to recover, do your best to prepare for the next day. And then you go again five times a week. Yeah. 365 times a year yeah. and then whenever you get a holiday you can yeah pass. yeah and but what is the preparation there throughout your week to minimize the amount of sort of wasted time like are you prepping your meals in advance or like getting your stuff ready the night before what are the what's the ins and outs of that look like it's just doing as much as possible <laughs> so like doing your meals the day before buying the things you need to do that can like so i never i never eat out like i never go to tesco everything's always prepped through by making some rice or some sauce i'll make excess so i can always pack it um also it's kind of like what else can i think of uh trying to minimize travel time unfortunately i don't drive but is what it is i always try and plan my journeys ahead so i know hey i can finish work at this time be on the bus at this time Mm. be in the gym at this time and be on my way back home um what else could you do i think it's also doing your best not to waste your time on things you don't need for example so if, if i'm in the gym i'm not going to waste a lot of time just having general conversation because i know if i stay here till 9 p.m i can not i won't get home in time to sleep 
and then that will affect my work and then if work is delayed that affects my gym session the next day and then also while I'm at work it's kind of I try and do the all the projects I need to do so if I have a deadline that I need to that needs to be done I'll happily come in on a Sunday to do it or Saturday after training um but it's just taking those extra variables but doing those extra things that on the day so that it doesn't affect you in the future you know, yeah. so there's not like this knockoff effect of, hey, you've messed up today, tomorrow's not worse, the next day is not worse. Things like that. Yeah, it's like recognizing or taking that proactive approach, hey, because you, if you don't prep your night, the meals the night before, then, or you're going to skip lunch and then you're probably, your session's probably going to be worse. And then, like, it just sort of has a snowball negative impact on everything that you're trying to achieve there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of, um, maybe some tangibles for some people who are listening and they're wanting to get strong, maybe even as strong as you if that's possible. What what are some things that people do wrong when they first start trying to build strength? Okay. I think one thing might be, because um, strength training has a stereotype of, hey, even a powerlifter has a stereotype of, you know, you turn up to the gym with your Harry Bows and a comfortable chair <laughs> yeah. and, you know, a water, fl- like a, a, a water flask and you're just yeah. there. You do your one set, you sit down on the side, you have a good conversation and then you do your next set. And then yeah. two hours in, you've done five sets of squats. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people love that because compared to bodybuilding or sports, you know, it's go, 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 go. With powerlifting that you can like chill, take your time feel more comfortable in your space. It's more of a, it can be a social thing even. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't, I feel like some powerlifting, especially at the beginning, those first two, three, four years, even five sometimes for some people, you're almost like a bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. So you what you want to do is you want to time things. You want to get working. So I'm not I'm not here saying don't have conversations. I'm like, hey, I have conversations after in between sets. Like I'll have a, quick one minute conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll have so one thing I, I like to do I've always done is I've always had a timer on my phone so oh, whenever I'm working out I have a 20 minute timer 20 minutes for warming up you know and then if I do my squats I do a set I do two sets I walk up to my top set three minutes rest normally in between and then I always have a timer for my back downs because that's where mm-hmm. people tend to waste time doing back downs you know you've done your top set you're tired and now you have this four by five you need to work through so I just bought a three-minute timer, you know. So once I'm doing my top set, do my back down first, back down set, three-minute timer. Once that timer goes off, I'm getting back under the ball. So that's one way to save time. And then also it just keeps you working, develops that work capacity. And then when it comes to accessories, push your accessories. A lot of people get into strength training and just focus on the heavy stuff. But the fluff work, the accessories, the bodybuilding stuff, that's that's your foundation, that's your bread and butter. You know, you can, mm-hmm. if you have... If you have this amount of muscle mass, you can only lift this amount of weight. The more muscle mass you acquire, the more weight you can like lift. So you need to build that foundation. You need to put on muscle. You need to basically be a bodybuilder um, in the yeah. background while you're also pushing your top edge. And um, for people who maybe don't know what accessories means, what was what would be some of the most common accessory movements that you would do? So if I was going to give an example, so for like an upper body, see if I was going to go to the gym and I was going to train chest, so I was going to do some bench, so I'll go into the gym and I'll do, let's say, four sets of five with a fixed weight. You know, I'm going to try and do that within 30 to 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you're benching lighter, 30 minutes. And then for the next 30 to 40 minutes, it's going to be chest press machine, 
like just a, a seated chest press machine. I'm going to do some incline dumbbell work. I'm going to do some back rows, um, preferably because you want to work on that stability. So while we're working on pushing forward, we also want to work on the other, the opposite way, you know, strengthening those muscles, the rotator cuff, little things like that. Um, I might even do some biceps, some triceps, and some shoulder work. So I've done about maybe four or five accessories after just doing the bench work, you know. Yeah. And I can keep on pushing bench. Yes, my technique will get a lot better, but the amount of muscle mass I'm going to acquire from doing those five to four accessories over the next two to three, five, six months will carry over a long term. So I will see the benefit straight away in January. But by the time I get to July, August, I'm going to start seeing, hey, the last five to six months I've been pushing my accessories, I'm starting to see my bench increase. Even though the technique has improved, my muscle mass has also mm. improved. So I can lift a lot yeah. more weight. And would your, because your set structure, obviously, for your big lifts would change over time depending on where you're at coming up to competition. Does your set structure for your, sets and reps structure for your accessories change much or is that stable? I think that's always fairly stable. Um, I'm, I'm learning to push accessories, to, to push the weight yeah. of accessories, because sometimes you can start to take it. And RP8 accessories, like, hey, you know, I feel that, boy, if you give me 10 seconds, I can do two mm. more reps. That's why I call it RP8 yeah. on accessories. RP8 on squat, bench, and deadlift is completely different from RP8 on accessories. So you want to learn how to push your accessories. Mm. Um, but that structure is always the same. It's always like for me, it's always been 12. 10 to 15 reps for my accessories, whatever I'm doing. Um, try and go heavy, slowly progress it. So I could do 40, for, for example, incline dumbbells. Um, I've been doing 40 kilos for about three mm -hmm. weeks because that, that felt like an RP8 for me. And then I pushed myself to do 42s, you know. So it's whatever feels comfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to actively overreach, but I'm trying to push myself after. Oh, so you get, you, you train get to a comfortable level and once you realize hey i've gone to this comfortable level it's the fourth fifth week of me doing the same way bump your by two kilos mm. it will be harder but your body will adapt to yeah, it yeah and that that scale where it's like an rpe scale you know there's a there's a few different ones or like reps and reserve would you say that yes. is quite an important thing for people to implement early on in their powerlifting journey or is that something that's sort of maybe more complex that you would add in later I'll probably say maybe adding later yeah. because when you're when you're first starting, your body's like fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you can you can probably do an SPD day, push your accessories, and probably turn up two days later and be ready to go mm. again. Um, so I'll probably say you really want to RP probably is good because you want to have a scale to how much you should push. But I wouldn't say for the main movements like the squat, bench, and deadlift, you don't want to start pushing to an eight, nine, or ten. You want to keep it around the seven because you're improving technique. Your body's trying this new sport, you know, with heavy weights. You don't want to start pushing so hard that you get injured and then now you're taking time off. You want to keep it submax, basically around the seven. Mm -hmm. But for accessories, you really want to start getting a feel for what an eight, nine, ten, what it feels like to really push, you know? And it's similar to like, you could say it's important, it's not important. I think sometimes it can confuse someone who's starting. So I'll just say, okay, go easy on the squat, bench, and deadlift movements comfortable add weight slowly over the weeks and then for your accessories just go all out like fail like i want you to actually fail on the machine because mm -hmm. you don't actually know what it feels like to go to true exhaustions because i could take a newbie for example and tell it's even like even when i do dumbbell curls or anything i i know because i've been training for years i know how to exhaust the muscle very quickly mm -hmm. so if i did the bicep curl my bicep is working even though it's just 14 kilos by the time i've done eight reps 10 reps 
boom, they're exhausted because I know how to really keep the tension there. If you gave a 14 kilo dumbbell to a newbie, their whole body's doing the movement. They'll tell <laughs> you, exactly, <laughs> I can feel my shoulders. Or I've had someone tell I could feel my back when I was doing a bicep. I'll be like, okay, yeah. you know. So it takes it takes a time, but I really want people to learn how to go to that end range so they can feel the muscle and actually know what they're supposed to be training. Yeah, and you're so right. It's about establishing that baseline, I guess, right? Like you can't say to someone, do an RPE 8 on a squat and they don't even they know what their no max squat is. is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that Just, makes yeah. sense. And let's say if you were to go back to the start of your journey and we, you look and you look at your nutrition, is there anything that you wish you knew back then about nutrition that maybe you know now that you would change? <sighs> I, I did know things about nutrition, but I was, I was a broke university student. That's the best yeah. way to put it. So that, even even if I knew what everyone knows now, the protein intake and carbs. You can only do so much. I'm like, mate, like, <laughs> this is all I can afford this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, I'll, I'll probably say nutrition is key, definitely, for a lot of people. And it's something that's becoming very, very important. People are aware of it, how to, what your pre-workout meal is supposed to be, post-workout, carb fat levels things like that vitamin b12 supplementation and things like that um but i also say you don't there's just there's the beauty of just being a gym rat just being an old school bodybuilder where they didn't care about how much protein you took yeah. or what it was just come to the gym be reasonable you're not a bodybuilder because you're not just going to go in and start doing dumbbell presses to 12 15 30 <laughs> yeah. reps first session you're going to do spd stuff so be the the smart powerlifters are smarter power, uh, bodybuilders you know yeah a lot of us are actually <laughs> university graduates or whatnot. So yeah. be technical. Do your squat bench deadlift, you know, calculate your variables or whatever your coach has tell, told you, analyze your technique, try and be more efficient in your movement patterns. And then just go all out. Doesn't matter whether I've mm. eaten lunch or not had dinner, especially when you first started. Ideally, if you can, nail your sleep, nail your food in, your progress will be a lot quicker. But don't let that be a crutch where you're like, I haven't eaten lunch. I'm not going to go to the gym. Oh, I haven't eaten lunch. My SPD stuff was terrible because I haven't eaten lunch, but now I'm going to go sub-max on my accessories, you know? When I yeah. when I was younger, I just pushed accessories all the time, whether I was mm-hmm. whether eating or whether I'd not eaten or whether it was 6 a.m. in the morning or 11 p.m. in the night. Didn't matter. Just push as hard as you can. And then nailing your sleep is always going to be the most important thing. After everything, sleep is probably first. The more sleep you get, the better your recovery will be. And then just making sure you're eating right, not overeating. You know, and you don't need to eat 5,000 calories or 4,000 calories when you just started. If you were just eating 1,000, 2,000 before, find a decent baseline. Do the work. Normally, the harder you work in the gym, the more muscle mass you put. Your body will naturally tell you, hey, we need more food. You know, if you work really hard in the gym, by the time you step out, your body's like, yeah, we need carbs. We need protein. Give us the food right now. So mm-hmm. your body will tell you naturally what you need to do. Be reasonable with it. Um, supplement where you can, what you can afford. Um, your basics like creatine, protein powders, if you can. Vitamin Ds, vitamin B, chores for energy levels. Um, hydration, water. But simple things, really, that you, you can focus on. Um, those, those come in at a certain level. But I always believe, some people tell you nutrition is first. I kind of believe, hey, that work ethic comes first. And then yeah. the nutrition is that cherry on the top that, that yeah. really speeds up the progress later on. 
and you're not going to gain muscle or strength just by eating well. You got exactly. to be putting in that work. Yeah, because <laughs> I've seen people in the gym. Like when I remember when I was like two or three years in, they have all the fancy pre-workout BCAs. They're having steak for dinner. But when they get to the gym, they're like doing two sets and sitting on the side. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is more important at this point. But I can get that. Like sometimes people are just so excited to get the nicest, fanciest stuff for this new interest that they got into. But then they're not actually doing that thing very well. So like you could get away with just eating some chicken and rice at first. You probably make better results. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. When um. So my, my little bit of experience when it comes to lifting heavy weights in comparison to you, they're, they're nothing. But how do you find um, exploring? Because obviously it's a physical thing, like the muscles. It's obviously all, all muscular, but so much of it is about the, the central nervous system and priming that so it can sort of make the muscles contract. So what's your view on that versus like the central nervous system versus it just being a, a muscular thing? And does that kind of tie into your training maybe – I don't know, warm-up sets or anything like that? Oh, no, definitely. And it's always warm-up properly, especially if you're going to go heavy because um, mm. it, it'll be a shock to your CNS if you just go for mm. nothing to 150 straight away. Like, your body will be like, what's mm. going on? Um, but CNS fatigue is real. Um, but I, I tend to think a lot of people more... You, you find it when you've been training for a longer period of time than if you're starting to train in that heavy. It takes a while to get used to it, especially when you run your first peak, your second, your third peak, you know? those six, five weeks will be tough because you're doing something your body you haven't done before. Your body's not built to squat over 100 kilos. We're not even supposed to be lifting this this much weight in the first <laughs> place. So your body will be will be fatigued and that'll probably be CNS fatigue. So there's a difference between muscle fatigue and CNS fatigue. Muscle is like, hey, if I did 20 sets of arms and I can't lift my arms anymore, that's muscle fatigue because I've got close to them. But if I lifted 300 kilos for a single rep three times a week, I'll be dead. Like I can't walk, stand out of bed. Not because my muscles are tired. It's just, hey, my body's exhausted. It's just firing everything at once. Um, but I think that that takes a time because you also need that. You need to become used to it because as you get stronger, you need to be comfortable lifting more weight also. Um, so it, but that will come naturally. I'll just say don't force it. That's the thing that comes with time in the sport. The longer you do it, the more you adapt to it. But yeah, that's probably what I would say. Yeah, and what what does, maybe getting to the specifics a little bit, what do your warm-up sets look like? Let's go for an example of, I don't know, you wanted to do a double whip 300 mm. to make the numbers easy. What would a warm-up set structure look like for you to work up to that weight? Okay, uh, so I've gone, I've gone to the point because I've been doing this for like a long time. I normally just jump in reds. So I'll do yeah. I'll do about 20 minutes of warm-ups mobility, make sure everything feels fine. And I'll go, I always start with a bar. I always start with a bar for everything. So I'm, even when I'm doing my accessories, I always start with a lighter weight first. And then I go to the actual weight I want to go for. So for squats, I'll go 70, 120, 170, 220. And then from there, it depends. I might go maybe 250, 260. If that feels good, I might take a big jump. That's unlikely. I might do a smaller jump and do 280, 300. So it, it kind of, mostly it's like 10, before your final set, you want to do like a maximum 10 to 20 kilo jump. 10 to 15 is more reasonable, really. So 10 to 15 mm -hmm. before your top set. And then just before then, you just, you want to feel good. It's not, it's not like a, it's not a crossfit workout. You know, you're, you're trying to get to that top set and feel as ready as possible. So you don't need to be doing 
10 reps with, with the bar. You know, it's just, hey, I've done the bar, feels good. Go on to 70 kilos. I've done the bar, I might do another rep, feels good. Go to the next one. I've done one rep, felt good, nothing hurt. Go to the next one and slowly progress like that. The top set is always your priority. Um, if you have a double or top single, that's your primary focus. So every single warm-up set is just to make you feel better. It's not to exhaust you or anything. And then after you've done the top set, then you can really key in on pushing for the reps and everything and doing that grunt work to help you later on. Yeah, man, that's that's really sound advice. Because one thing I noticed, I was a personal trainer for a few years in a gym and people would say, I don't know, work up to 20 kg dumbbell press, but they would do eight kgs for like 15 reps yeah like 10 kgs for 12 reps and it's about sort of coaching that mindset of you want to prime your body and your central nervous system for the weight without taking away from that top set yeah. right? you don't want to build you you're just priming yeah. your body you're not you don't want ex muscle exhaustion exhaustion to start saying it. you don't want to fatigue to start saying it before you hit your top set you just want to feel good start getting everything feeling warm feeling ready for the top set and once you've done that then you can do the hard work of high rep work afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bringing it back to you as an athlete, one thing I'm interested to learn a bit more about is the mindset that you have for your training lifts versus you stepping on the big stage with people yelling and screaming at you uh, on that competition stage. So how does that mindset shift between you just doing your work in the gym versus you stepping on that big stage? Uh, so I'll say this, this is this has changed recently. Um, when I first started, it was just fun because I, I, when I started powerlifting, there was no, oh, I want to have this record or I want to be first or anything. It was kind of like, hey, I've trained, now I'm just going to have fun and see what happens on the day. Um, and that's that was the way it was until like, let's say two to three, three years where I've really got into that level where I'm now competitive. Um, and then now training is, you have to isolate training from competition day. So with training, they are, like, I remember when I first started, I used to be so tied in. Like, if I had a big deadlift session, two days I'll be thinking of that big deadlift session. I've got a number in my head. I'm thinking of the, even in university lessons, I'm just thinking I'm going to deadlift 290. That's a lot of weight. I'm going to deadlift 290. Hopefully it doesn't go well. Once I do 290, I'll do this after. And, like, as I've gotten older in the sport i've started learning how to detach myself from the numbers and just go training ish training you know training is to prime my body for competition day and almost like if i have any issue doing training if i have any bad days if i have good days it's all data points i can use to build my confidence for competition day so by the time i step on that platform i'm not going oh i squatted 320 i should be good i'm going like i squatted 300 on a terrible day where like life really fucked me over so i'm good like i've mm. i've been in the hall this is play time like i've slept comfortably the last few days i should be good you know so it's like building that confidence point for competition day um so i think i tell a lot of people like training is just training um but that depends on the level you're at uh, some people especially when you start it's a new sport you're super excited about everything you know you're tied in with the numbers you want the numbers to be there but the longer you do it for the more you realize especially when if you want to compete a certain sport or event you're just trying to rack up good days so if you have a bad training day it doesn't matter it's just data points for you to know mm. if this was a bad training day i didn't leave the gym i didn't kick a fuss i stuck through the bad training day and i know by the time i get to competition i'll be a lot rested and i wouldn't have the externals affecting me now on that day hopefully so it should go a lot better 
I feel like people could resonate with that a lot. Maybe not just in terms of powerlifting, but you can apply that to almost anything. Like I didn't do this thing well at work. It's hard not to attach yourself or your self worth to the the outputs, let's say, to make it bigger. So what was it that changed in your mindset or did you do anything in particular to help yourself detach from those results? I think I just had to stop because I started noticing that I was getting too emotionally attached to the weight sometimes. So sometimes I'll mm. load something on a bar that I wasn't there. Like, because I'd been thinking about a 300 kg deadlift for the last two or three days. I'm warming up and it doesn't feel good. I know it doesn't feel good. But for the last three days, I've been thinking of this number only. So 100% I'm going to put on the bar and I fail it. And I know I know why I failed it because I've been thinking about it <laughs> and I have a shot. Um, and it, it's also just taxing sometimes, you know, like yep. thinking about training. So like I said, work is work. Training is training. When I'm outside the gym, I don't think about the gym. Um, I can analyze my lifts. I can watch my training with an outside perspective because I'm going, hey, what can I work on to improve next time? But I'm not sat down there thinking, oh, that 300 was terrible. That 300 is terrible. I'm thinking, mm. I've I've gone through the phase of thinking, I'll think once or twice, that 300 was terrible. What can I do next time to make it a lot better? Hey, what did my, what broke down my technique? I'm probably going to drop the weight next week. I'll probably spend a day to doing that. And then, boom, nothing thinking about training until the next time I step in the gym again. So you, you need to isolate unless you, it'll just fatigue you a lot. Um, it, you just you'll probably experience burnout because a lot of people who talk about burning out in power I've never gone to the phase of because I've, I've gotten injured even now when I was injured I started from the bottom again I never had a phase of oh I don't want to go to the gym or oh, I'm tired with powerlifting because I always isolate both of them because as soon as I'm done with the gym I'm done that's it I'm at work now I think about work or I'm at home I think about being at home and then when I step into the gym I, I face those problems I'm dealing with again I do whatever rehab work I can do once I step out of there, boom, that's it. It's all done. No thinking about the gym mm. again. Focus on everything I need to focus on the outside. I can still watch technique videos. I can still watch my training videos to see what I can improve for next time. But it's not in an obsessive manner where I'm allowing it to drag me or beat me down. Just yeah. thinking about it what seems like It seems like that approach reduces your sort of cognitive load or your mental fatigue as well. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I could imagine if you had a bad deadlift session it would be so hard not to just constantly be repeating it in your head and wondering oh what could I do better you know do do I have the ability to even be able to do this you know sort of making it bigger than what it needs to be per se yeah exactly it's like once if I've about I'm, I'm not a robot I'm gonna have I'm gonna it's a terrible <laughs> yeah. deadlift session hey by the time I get home I'll probably be a bit grumpy but I yeah. quickly realized that and just start to isolate it and just go Let's, mm. let's not worry about it. And also sometimes when you watch, because I've, I've noticed this actually now a lot more over the last few years, is when you look at your training in the gym after you do it, so if you squat and you look at the video in the gym, it might look bad. You might go, ugh, that didn't move well. And then two days later, if you look at that same footage, right, you go, oh, it wasn't so bad, you know? <laughs> yeah. So sometimes you do need that time to isolate. So especially when I have a bad session, I just go, boom, just lock it off. And then two days later, I'll look at the video and go, yeah, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. What can I take away from this and go forward? Yeah, when you re you review it with less of an emotional kind of view, I guess. Yeah, that, yeah. As you progressed through your powerlifting journey and started to see some success in competitions, what was the element of um, pressure like for you in terms of 
maybe, you know, social media and stuff, but like when you took that platform after previously doing well, how did that affect your psyche? It was, it's interesting because, um, so it's like the last, the, my last three competitions, actually, it's a good question because my last three competitions, there has been a drop in my total. And it's, mm-hmm. you, it's, it's, all, it's been a combination of injuries, but also reaching for position, podium position. So before I was coming in and I was just, oh, I'll be happy to do third, you know, and then I do what I need to do. And I, if there's a chance to pull for third, I pull for third. Now it's, oh, the guy's coming in for third. So I need to do this, this and this, and then potentially pull yeah. for second. I need to do this. So, because uh, I did, I did 897.5 in South Africa last year. And then I'd gone from an 897.5 to an 890, then to an 895, and then to an 880. So it's kind of just, it's not, I've really not made much progress from last year, if you look at it. But I know in training, I have made progress. Um, so it, there is pressure, and I think that's that's part of the sport. Some people say it's, it's, a, it's a luxury to feel the pressure, you know. It's like, it's, hey, be happy that you're in a position where you can yeah. feel this kind of pressure. I, I saw you share a um, picture of Chris Bumstead on your story, and he's the one who says pressure is privilege, right? Yeah, I, I love yeah. Chris. Chris Bumstead is yeah. like, he's just, a, just a stacked dude. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yeah, bro. Hard <laughs> up. Um, but I think it's, it's just part of sports, really. Um, some people mm. like it, some people don't like it. Um, I don't mind it, you know, but you, you also need to not let it overtake you. Because, like, even for now, for example, I've, I've had four competitions now. Out of those four, three of them, I wasn't happy with my performance. And I've gone to the stage where I'm like, okay, I enjoy competing, but I also want to enjoy doing this because I enjoy going to the gym, you know. I don't want to be yeah. the guy who's, like, bummed out or, like, oh, I'm not making any progress. So I want to be, like, even now I'm doing a competition where I'm not, I'm just training, you know. Because I have an injury, I'm going. I'm just going to train, see what happens, go stage, um, stage by stage. If I reach a level where, hey, this is potentially going to take me back a few months, I'm going to step away and go, hey, I'm not going to do this competition. But also, if training goes good, I'm just going to go in there, have fun, not worry about anything, not worry about this or that. It's literally just one competition to have fun, feel like my old self again. And then we go back into the competition pool where we're trying to challenge for podium or spots or things like that. But the pressure, the discomfort, the unhappiness with training, when you're competing in a high level, it all happens because you want something and a hundred other people want the same thing you want. So there's mm-hmm. no way everyone's going to come out of there feeling happy. So, yeah. 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 Not everyone can win on the day, right? Exactly. Even though everyone yeah. wants to win on the day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one, one thing, um, delving more into the pressure side of things, I assume it's pressure. Anyway, I was watching one of your YouTube videos and you talked about how when you get, you know, injured or, or you're not feeling it, you kind of um, go ghost mode on, on socials. Yeah. How, how, yeah. How do you find the the pressure of social media and putting up content and that kind of stuff? Is it, does it add a sense of pressure to perform well and to always be strong? And how do you deal with that element of it? That's interesting because I've always, I barely, I kind of just post. I used to always only just post doing prep, like, and YouTube was my way of showing, like, oh, this is what's happening now and here. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've always felt like I, I didn't really show the full press because the thing is, social media is like, hey, this is the good stuff, you know? The I deleted, reel. exactly. I deleted 330. Here it is. Look how amazing yeah. I am. 
you know you wouldn't show the week where you pulled 290 and you felt terrible um so the uh, social media can definitely make you want to overreach especially when you can see your especially during that competition period like i've i've definitely had two or three sessions where i've seen my competitor do a 320 squat and i've gone there's no way i'm not squatting 320 today you know so it can influence you in that way and you you need to be aware of the influence because that's what that's what's meant to do it's meant to influence you that's why they're called influencers you know so mm-hmm. everyone's potentially mm-hmm. going to influence you influence your training so you need to be aware of the effect it can have and it can be positive it can be negative because if i see my competitor do not need any squat i can go i need to work really really hard you know and one of the best preps i had yeah. was looking at someone like ashton ruska for example who's a 105 and going i want to catch that guy and i'm gonna push myself this prep gonna go really really hard and i did and my squat went up like crazy because i was coming to that session and because into every session just wanting blood like going i want to catch these guys i want to catch these guys but that that can be very interesting because that's hard to maintain um so if you're gonna just be wanting to chase people on social media thinking oh this person yeah i want to catch up to that person when you don't get the goals that you wanted to get or if you find yourself a lot further away from that goal than you thought you were going to be, it can have a very big backlash effect. Um, so you, you have to be sensible with it. Some people can ride that wave and be okay. But I feel like majority of people probably find, especially if you don't perform as well as you want to perform, will probably find it's not worth it. What's probably a better wave to be on is just focusing on yourself um, and just trying to be better than yesterday uh but that's not to say that there isn't the benefit of chasing other people and going i want to be better than that person and using that motivation to push yourself so you have to find your happy medium or maybe you just have to know when to turn it on and when to turn it off yeah it must be hard to find that balance because as you said it's a highlight reel like that person who puts up a squad of 320 you don't see that next week oh they actually tweaked their ankle and they're not actually squatting, but then three weeks later you see they're squatting three thirty, and like, oh shit! Yeah. Like then now they're squatting three thirty. So, is there any specific things that you do to try and like just use that social media as motivation and not get too sucked into it? Like, do you, mm. I don't know, restrict your time on it or who you follow or like anything like that? I do, I do try and restrict my time, but also especially for like powerlifting, I try and use social media as a. Um, less of a highlight reel and more of like a technical feedback. So I, I like yeah. watching people. So if, if, for example, someone like Anatoly squatted or Ashton Rooster <laughs> squatted, you know, yeah. or they posted an amazing bench set, I'd rather than me going, oh, that's a lot of weight. How far am I? I'm, that's like ages away from where I am right now. I'll kind of look at like Rondo Hunt, for example, or 120, you know, squats 350, 37, looks amazing. But I kind of look, oh, his squat technique is amazing. Like the way he maintains the tension in the squats is really good. I look at my squat. Oh, I'm a bit unstable when I go into the hole. How can I improve that? Because if he's squatting that way, maintaining tension, maybe that's something I can improve my mountain training. And then whenever I go on social media, it's kind of like I look at people to go, what can I take away from this? Rather than just watching and liking this. Can I learn anything from this piece of content? If not, scroll <laughs> keep it moving yeah um, but it's kind of like yeah. just use it as a learning place because there are a lot of strong people on social media and a lot of them have little things they do that make them unique and probably make them a lot stronger and like if you can identify those little things and take away so it's not you're not just scrolling and watching but you're actually you're actually 
learning and maybe taking information you can implement in your own training, you know, then I can kind of go, hey, I'm learning and I'm benefiting from this and I'm not just sat down there comparing myself against another person. So, for example, I watch Rondo Hunt and I I look at the accessories he does, I look at the the way he squats, the way he benches, and I go, oh, he does this, he does that. I want to try that next week. You know, I'm going to take that away. Rather than sit down there going, fuck, he's strong as hell. Is he cheating? Is that that magic shit? (laughs) What's the shortcut? (laughs) What's the shortcut? So, yeah, it's like trying to make it like a learning thing rather. Yeah, I love that idea. And it's almost an analogy outside of social media too. It's always when you're interacting with someone, try to think, how can I learn something from this person? You know, they might actually have something for me instead of like either just disregarding it or like getting angry, like, oh, why is this guy stronger than me? You know, that's not fair. Why is the world so unfair? (laughs) Yeah. And when you do look at these guys and maybe you see what exercises they're doing or how they structure their plan, how can you determine whether or not what they do is actually applicable to you? I just try it. <laughs> that's what it's probably one of the most annoying things with my coach. I've always been like that from day one where I'll be like, Oh, I want to try this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be like, why? <laughs> like, well, I swear something, I just want to try it. Um it's like it's not it's not this so I'm not gonna change my training for the day. Yeah. So for example, if I saw like a good accessory I saw someone doing, I'm like, oh, I want to try that. I'll do the work on the program. I'll do everything that was stated to be done on the day. I'm not gonna change anything there. And then I'll take my own extra work and go, I want to try this now, mm-hmm. you know? So if there was like, for example, like a technique change I wanted to implement, I probably wouldn't do it on my primary squat day because I'm, that's my that's my primary squat day. But my secondary squat day, I'll go, I can try this doing my warm-ups and see how it feels, mm. you know? And the impact is not going to be as bad. And I, I feel like there's, I'm probably a very neurotic person when it comes to training and I tend to analyze. So I'm like a beauty and the beast. Sometimes I'm there sat down, being a princess, analyzing everything, thinking, can I feel my forearms the way I want to feel it when I'm bending? Yeah. Am my pecs feeling correct? And sometimes I know how to just be a beast and just go, yeah, 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 push, 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 yeah. kind of, without worrying. Um, and I think it, it's not a bad thing to have both of them. So it's not a bad thing to want to be a technical person and want to investigate, try things, experiment, because eventually it's like powerlifting. Yes, you can be a grunt and just put the work in. But I feel like the people who probably stride the most of those people who are like a bit neurotic on that side yeah. who are willing to go this is good but can you be better yeah but without cancelling the work that needs to be done it's not can you be better and i'm going to change my whole program and not do what i was supposed to do on the day but can you be better and i'll experiment after i've done the work now mm-hmm. this is either extra work which i need to take that personal um responsibility i'm going to induce more fatigue so i need to be smart about it but also, you know, be willing to play around because mm. you've got a long time in this sport, find what works for you, and then hopefully you can get stronger that way. I like that analogy of the beauty and the beast. I write that. <laughs> I, I could imagine that only being the beast for so, that could only get you so far, right? It, it, your ceiling is going to be a lot shorter if you don't take that more analytical mindset of, you know, how could I improve by 1% or how could I improve exactly. in this area? Yeah, yeah, it plays a huge feedback. It's like, I've, I've people take the piss out of me, but I've got like ten different squatting shoes <laughs> because I'm willing to go. Hey, this is good, but it's not perfect. Because I, I can look if I look at someone's squat, I go, it's not that. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm 
very well aware of the fact that I have different leverages for the person. Scoring might come naturally for them. Scoring won't come naturally for me. But it doesn't mean I can't improve. It doesn't mean yeah. that my stability can be better. It doesn't mean my bar pack can be better. So if I can do anything to improve that area that I believe is holding me back, for example, was my stability going into the squat and pushing out, being able to stay on my quads, right? Something we've been working on. I'm gonna. I'm not going to sit down and use the same squat shoes and try and brute force my way through and just hope that, hey, I'm going to keep on doing the same thing over and over again and eventually the progress is going to come. You know, I'm going to go, mm-hmm. well, no, that doesn't make any sense. Engineering, we tinker around until we find what works, you know. Yeah. It doesn't matter if the system is good. If you can make it better, tinker around and make it better. So I'm mm-hmm. happy to try another squat shoe. And if the squat shoe is not the problem, I'm happy to try different stands. Just even when I get injured, that's one thing that probably helps me the most. Like I'm injured right now. My hip is messed up. I've been doing like some bursitis, like trochanter pain, something around the TFL glute mid area. Um, mm-hmm. I can barely do a squat lunge. Like if you told me to do a squat lunge right now, it would hurt. But I can squat yeah. 300. And that's not because I'm brute forcing my way through it. It's I've learned my hip hurts right now. How can I change my technique to avoid that hip, that area that hurts? What am I doing that's irritating that area? What am I doing that doesn't irritate that area? Okay, cool. I figured that out. I figured the squat stance works. Can I push this? Can I increase the load on it? Yeah, I can. Okay, good. Let's keep on progressing while we do the rehab for the hip on the side. So if you ask me to do a split yeah. lunge, can't do it. I can't dumbbell lunge 10 kilos. If you ask me to squat 300, I know how to get my body in the right position that can lift that weight without hurting the hip. So that's just, mm-hmm. that's just the way I work. Yeah, that... Um... Going back to that, you having like ten pairs of squat shoes. I feel like yeah. when you're when you're at your level, something like that makes so much sense because when you're like really pushing so close to your ceiling, something like a little heel raise angle, maybe that's going to be the difference between three ten or three twenty. But then, like what you were talking about a while ago with the beginners getting all the best subs and all that kind of stuff, but not putting yeah, in the work. You don't need to focus on that right uh, now. You need muscle mass. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like if you went back to the start of your journey where you talk about you were squatting a hundred kgs, look, you're squatting two hundred kilos more than that. You know, and yeah. that doesn't come from a slight change in a squat shoe. No, that comes from consistently gonna... working hard. Yeah, that's going to be Bulgarian split squats. Getting those yeah. legs bigger. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man. Well, one um, thing I've been learning more about from you know various podcasts about people who are really successful at their craft is you hear a lot, say like someone like Goggins, he's always saying like, you got to work hard, you got to work hard and that's discipline. But whereas the reverse I feel is true for people who already work hard and this might resonate with you. Do you find for you it takes a lot of discipline not actually to do the work but actually to rest when you need to rest? Yeah, that's that's the thing. So like it's so I I have the work ethic thin down. Like yeah. I can just turn up to the gym whether I feel good or not good. Some people don't have that, some people. A lot of people have gone to, if you find yourself powerlifting consistently, you're turning up to the gym regularly. You have that. You know how to turn up. But then now you need to be able to keep yourself accountable for the extras. So it's coming home, making sure you're eating. It's coming home, making sure you're stretching. You know, it's coming home, making sure you're trying to optimize your recovery as much as possible. And that's a different discipline. You know, it's like there's, mm. that's why it's always funny because sometimes I watch all this YouTube reels and like videos and like, yeah, if you're jacked, you're a disciplined person. I'm like, eh, not really. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you can just take a bunch of drug deals and just be jacked. <laughs> but it's like, there's, there's the whole component. There's been discipline in the gym. There's been discipline outside the gym. There's been discipline at work. There's been discipline with your nutrition. There's been discipline with mm. your communication. You know, they're little, they're multiple components that, 
come together to make you a better athlete and you need to identify that so yeah do all the work in the gym if you're pushing there good you're a star on that little section now you need to start focusing on your recovery your mobility your little this and that your communication with your coach your nutrition if you need to ask your nutrition to help look at your diet you know those little facets would then now start complementing your work ethic in the gym because you can't hmm. if, if the car is broken you can't drive it it can be the best car it can be the strongest exactly. car but if it's broken there's nothing that's going to happen with it but the to continue the analogy it's driving the car really fast that's fun right it's not the changing the oil or changing the waters exactly. or the fluids or whatever it is exactly yeah. exactly so how do you incorporate those elements of rest sort of into your plan you know the the stretching or the mobility or the the work like that what does that look like for you funny enough the your body will tell you when you need to do it and that's when you get injured and yeah, that's yeah. always the best the best reminder you always get um so it is bound to happen when you're healthy you will drop in these areas because you feel good you know you've squatted mm. you feel okay and when everything hurts you remember to do your stretches um yeah. but you, you just have to put into your routine you know like i buy like tens unit massage balls massage guns heated pads anything i can do to make that recovery process easier try and go to a sauna whenever i can during the week and i think it's vitamin d b12 you know little things like that where i can go okay i'm, I'm getting to a certain level where i know i'm training but i'm not recovering enough from my training you know and your body will tell you that you definitely know it but you just you need to the same way you apply effort to the gym and turn up to the gym, you also need to apply effort to these other areas. If not, your gym ethic or work ethic will just go to waste yeah. because you can't get anywhere with it. Yeah, and that's so true that it's that work that you put in and that stuff makes you have a good training session. But then when you stack up these good training sessions, you can it's easy to put that work aside. And then as soon as you yeah. like your hip, now you're like, ah, oh, shit, yeah, I need to be yeah. doing more work to do that. That's right. I, I haven't exactly. been doing my hip flexor stretches or whatever it is. It's a good reminder. Yeah, yeah the body's great reminding you about what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, the best thing to do would be proactiveness and not, not yeah. telling your body to <laughs> Yeah, don't have it uh, remind you. <laughs> And but but before we uh, wrap up, what are some some goals on your horizon at the moment? What's what's coming up for you? So for me, it's it's really simple. It's actually just get healthy because um, yeah. I've had this four competitions where I've just been pushing my body back to back to back. So it's kind of like get as healthy as I can, have a good competition to round up the end of the year. You know, just set like maybe total something around nine hundred plus if possible. You know, not tied to a number, but if my body allows me to do it, I want to push and have a good competition. And then, like, just enjoy the sport, take it easy, take take push when I can, and then see what the international field looks like last year, next year, because it's a bit of a mess right now with selections and everything and, like, mm-hmm. world games, people might be moving weight classes and things like that. Um, so no one really knows what's going on. So just focusing on the micro right now, which would be, this competition at the end of the year, try and get there, be as healthy as possible. If I don't feel like I'm progressing towards being healthy by doing this competition, I drop out from it and I'll yeah. focus on something for next year. But health, being healthy is my priority for now. Yeah, and focusing on that is ironically what's going to lead to your success, no doubt, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, um, is Sheffield's on your radar for next year? Oh, no chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, no chance. I think the selections for that is already pretty much wrapped up. Is it? Um, you Damn. needed to either. Yeah, you needed to come first, IP of Wolves, or play second. 
or oh, do some shit. really impressive total within the end of the year. Um, but nah, nah, Mortal did not go well enough for me to be invited. <laughs> Mortal's a horrible competition. Oh, so yeah, man. so many learnings though. I bet right from those like that you can apply to your next next upcoming exactly. competitions. Yeah. And if uh, people were keen to follow your journey and see how much you squat and deadlift, where is the best place for them to to find you? As of now, probably just be Instagram. Yeah. I need to get back on YouTube again, <laughs> uh, but it's just just finding the energy to do it 100 percent, man. <laughs> that's the problem you, you, you uh, post super frequently on on instagram though. i feel like you're on there most i times. have I, I started doing it now actually because i before i used to post like every two months or something mm-hmm. but i've been trying to do like once or twice a week yeah um uh, because just to help the following count go up uh, and just be more accountable because i, I found that like I've, I've had tough training preps where i'm like ah. Oh, I remember scoring 290 and then I try and scroll through Instagram, I can't find them. Like, yeah. then I have to start scrolling through my phone to find. So, like, just posting everything on there is, is good. But mm. I also want to, like, get into more, like, actual content, not just, hey, look at me score, yeah. you know, like, yeah. put something useful on there. So, hopefully, yeah. I can get the energy to work on that and start yeah. putting up more useful content with time. Well, even judged on this conversation, man, you're super articulate and you've obviously got a lot of knowledge there, so I'm sure people would love to hear. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, no, no worries, man. Thanks so much again for coming on. I genuinely enjoyed catching up with you. No worries. It was nice to talk with you, too. Yeah, cheers, man.